0: we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask you to guide and lead us as we see what you would want us to see from all of us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 13, verse 31. The same day there came certain of the Pharisees saying unto him, Get you out and depart hence, for Herod will kill you. And he said unto them, Go you and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out devils and do cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless I must walk today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which kills the prophets and stones them that are sent unto them to you. How often would I have gathered my children? together as the hen doth gather her brood under her wings and ye would not behold your house is left unto you desolate and verily I say unto you you shall not see me until this time come that when you shall say blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord so we're going to look at this one because this is Jesus talking to them and I want to just think about this I heard this weekend a, a pastor say and I thought it was very significant and profoundly simple, because I had never thought about it. And it was so obvious, I'm going, okay, why didn't I ever think about it this way? He said that you cannot be victorious and successful unless you go through trials. Now, how many of us don't like to go through trials? (laughs) How many of us like to go through trials? None of us very much, but you know you cannot be successful In anything without going through the trials to be successful over and we all almost all like to be successful we all like to be victorious but we don't like the trial part and I was thinking because when I was listening thinking about this how often was Jesus tested and tried now, we all kind of think after he's baptized by John the Baptist, he went out, fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and the devil tempted him with the three big temptations that we're talked about. And we kind of sometimes think, well, those are the only temptations Jesus ever went through. Wrong. <laughs> the only ones that really were mentioned. But he was tempted every time that he talked. People would come and they would attack him. They would attack what he taught. They, they challenged him. And here's another example of Jesus being challenged. And the interesting thing about this one is the scribes and Pharisees did not like Jesus. All right. Why? He didn't do things their way. He did things God's way, but he didn't do it their way. And it's very interesting as we as Christians, when we do things God's way, number one, the world is going to hate us. The sad thing is oftentimes the religious people hate us. Because the religious people are all about rules. You've got to do these rules to please God. And God is not about rules. They go, well, he's got all these rules in his Bible. Yeah, there are lots of rules in the Bible. But is God saying, I expect you to keep all of those rules so that you can be perfect? No. He knows that he gives us rules to show us that we are not perfect. So that we have to depend on his grace. And this is the great news for us. We are at freedom to do things through grace. Now, does that mean I can do whatever I want? No, because the rules are there, and it's good to follow the rules. And they are, God was not capricious when he made these rules. He just didn't sit down and say, you guys need a bunch of rules. I'm gonna make a bunch of rules and just pull them out of the air. They are him. They show his character. And we gotta understand this, that God has put these things in there and when he says don't lie in the scriptures, he's not just saying, well, I think you know, not lying is a good thing, but he cannot lie. Because God cannot lie, he gives us a rule to be like him. And we need to understand all these things, all these rules that God gives us is because he wants us to be like him, but they won't get us into heaven by keeping those rules because we can't keep them perfectly. And so we want to be able to see Jesus was tempted constantly. I think Jesus was tempted more than any other person that's ever walked this world. And there are some people, and I heard somebody talk about this, the entire demonic forces probably were attacking Jesus. Probably a very peaceful time to be in the rest of the, rest of the world. When all the demonic activity was focused on one man in Israel to try to get him to fall. Think about that. The pressure he had was fierce. And he had all of these things coming against him and the world and the leaders were coming against him. And I think he provoked them at times. He did things to put them on the spot saying, you guys have all these rules that, that we were not given you. and I'm going to break every one of the rules that you created. And we see that constantly. He heals on the Sabbath. Uh, the, his disciples are accused of working on the Sabbath. He doesn't, do, he doesn't obey all the rules of man. And we need to understand, you know, when we look at one another out there, how many times are we tempted to judge somebody for not doing things the way we do it? You now, it happens all the time. Well, you, you know, I can't do this. Why are you doing this? Or, I won't do this, so why are you doing it? You know, we need to be very careful because we stand or fall before God. Our job is not to judge other people. My job is not to judge even people in this church. My job is definitely not to judge other pastors for what they do in their church. Because they have to answer to God just as I'm going to have to answer for, to God. And you have to answer to God for what you do. So we need to be very careful to give people grace. Love them where they're at. For one thing, they might have more freedom than you do. And that's fine. And you know, does that mean that God doesn't have standards? No, he has lots of standards. There are lots of things that God doesn't say, don't do. But there's a lot of places where we make rules that have nothing to do with God. When I was growing up, you didn't go to the movies. If you were a Christian, movies were terrible. Don't go to the movies. I could never understand that one. I didn't find anything about movies in the Bible. You know, don't play cards. Okay, I'm going, why can't I play cards? Well, you might play poker. No, I'm playing hearts and spades and, and games like that. You know, and the question is, what are the rules? Why are they there? And man makes all kinds of rules that usually have nothing to do with the word of God. And we want to make sure that we stand up for what God says. And God says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Does that mean there's lots of ways to get saved? No. That word for salvation literally is our way of walk. How am I going to walk with God? What has God convicted me of? And I do this all the time when people go, well, can I do such and such? And I get smiles on that because when people ask you that, I've got one straight answer. Uh, you probably can't because you're already questioning whether you're allowed to do it. It doesn't matter what it is. It, does, it really does not matter if you're or considering, can I do something? You're already under conviction from God who's telling you not to do it. Now, if somebody's just trying to convince you that you're not supposed to, then that's a different story. But if you're questioning whether you can do something, the answer is you can't. Real simple because you don't have liberty to do it freely before God. Now, does that mean it's wrong for everybody? No, it just means it's wrong for you. Paul covered that in Corinthians when he told the Corinthians, he goes, if you want to eat meat offered to idols, be my guest. It's just, it's just meat offered put in front of a, a hunk of stone or, or gold and silver. He goes, if you can't do it, don't do it. He goes, it doesn't matter. There's nothing wrong with it either way. But he did say, if it offends your brother, don't do it in front of that brother. And that's something very important. We do have a responsibility to other Christians in there to not do things that will offend them. And then people will go, well, they need to grow up, and they need, yes, probably they need to grow up. But we also don't want to offend and and drive them away. And this is where love becomes paramount. Do I love the person enough to put them and their needs above me and my needs? And this is something very important in church. How many people have ever talked to somebody and they'll go, well, I don't go to church because somebody was mean to me in church. Okay, well, that's wonderful. What about the other people in the church? Well, they were mean too. All right? There was nobody nice in the entire church. Pay attention to them and leave the mean people alone. You know. But we all look for excuses, not to serve God, not to go to church, not to, not to do things for Him. You know, you know, the pastor's too mean. He's too too loud. He's too harsh. He's, you know, he's too easy. But, you know, it doesn't really matter. People find anything wrong. You know, he's got too much grace. He doesn't. You know, he doesn't have enough love. He's got a uh, uh, law. He's got too much law and too too little grace. You know, it doesn't. You know, people have all kinds of reasons, not to come. You know, don't like the music. You know, you know, more people don't come to church because they don't like the music. And I've always wondered about that because who am I going to go to church for? Am I going to church for me or for God? If I'm going to go to church for God, I just want to make sure the music glorifies God. And I understand, you know, that some people don't like the newer music that we play. Sorry, we got to draw the younger people in. I also understand that there are people who don't like the hymns. I love the hymns, so we're gonna play a little bit of both. Because I like the doctrine in in each of those songs, and I wanna make sure I'm very careful about the music that we listen to because I want good sound doctrine. There are hymns I won't sing because they're not sound doctrinally. There's lots of new songs I won't sing because they're not they're not sound doctrinally. But when they're sound doctrinally, I have no problem playing the newer songs with upbeat. Uh, discussing with Kay yesterday. I didn't realize how many fast-paced songs we had here. I told her so her hands are going to be tired after today's, today's play because we had so many fast-paced songs today. And so we want to look at this. Serving God is going to be challenging. And all we got to do is look at Jesus. These people attacked Jesus. The Pharisees attacked Jesus. But you notice their attack wasn't directly against him themselves. They go herod wants to kill you now we don't know if herod really wanted to kill him at this time or not or if they were just using herod as the excuse it really doesn't matter but how many times have you been attacked through a third party uh, accusation or something maybe unfortunately maybe you're the one that attacked somebody on a third party attack i hope that is not true of people in here but it is real easy for man to say, well, I'm really angry at you, but this person's really angry at you. They're really going to come and get you. This is what they're doing to Jesus. They did not like Jesus, they're trying, but they're coming in like, we're being your friends. We, you, you know, you're okay with us, but Herod, he wants to get you. He wants to get you. We need to be so careful about what will stop us from serving God. I've seen this over and over again. What will keep you from doing something for God? And once Satan identifies what will keep you from serving God, guess what happens to you all the time? Whatever it is that will keep you from serving God will be exactly what happens. And I've seen it, you know, frequently with young families. The kids, the kids get sick. There's a little bit of sniffles in the morning. On, and every time it's on Sunday morning. Just when it's time to go to church, they get a little sniffle, they get a cough. Okay, can't go to church, the kids are sick. And it seems like every Sunday, the kids seem to be getting... By Sunday afternoon, they get really healthy. You know, uh, and no problems at all. What keeps us from serving God? And I'm going to challenge you, look at your life and say, what can keep me from doing whatever? Going to church, reading my Bible, praying and then ask God to help you in that particular area. You know, I've heard people all the time say, well, I'm really trying to start reading my Bible, and every time I start reading my Bible, the phone rings and interrupts it. Well, heaven help you, but you could take your phone off the hook or turn it off if it's a cell phone for a half hour. Doesn't really, you know, It's not going to be the end of the world if people can't reach you for a half hour. Turn the ringer off. Let it go to the answering machine. Look for something simple to be able to get around whatever it is that Satan is doing for you. Just be aware that when you get rid of one, he'll come up with another one. You know, this, is the, this is the thing, and uh, I've said this many times, but I like the way it was said this morning. Your reward for getting victory over the small things is that you get a bigger trial. And I've said the same thing many times. You know, the, the reward for doing the right thing is that we get a harder trial as well. You know, But you know, God is trying to teach us to serve Him in spite of all things that can happen. How much am I going to depend upon God? And for some of us, it's a really hard thing to depend on God. We're very independent, we're managerial, I like to be in control of things, and I know that bothers some people sometimes, I like to be in control of things. God is trying to break me of being in control because He goes, I need to be in control. And I have spent 52 years with God trying to learn to let Him be in control. I'm getting better than I used to be, but I still struggle with it. And, you know, in the small things, it's easy. Okay, God, you've got the, you know, I'll give you this one. We've been dealing with this one for a long time. But I'm a control freak, and I know it. You know, And I know I'm not the only one around that likes to be in control of everything. (laughs) But God is in there saying, are you going to trust me? Are you going to just let go? And you know, one of the problems about this, if you want to be in control, God will get you into a position where you cannot be in control. Believe me, he can easily do that. Now, what is it that God is working on you about? Are you ready to surrender to him? And Jesus told the Pharisees, you know, hey, I've got a real simple proposition for you. I'm going to be in Jerusalem for three days. Three days. Today, tomorrow, and the next day. And it says, then I will be perfected or literally completed. His job would be completed. And he said, I'm just going to be here three days. You tell, like, you tell that old fox, I'm just going to be here for three days. Now, If you're really in communication with him, just tell him I'm going to be here for three days. I, when I would have read that three days, I was thinking about his death and resurrection, three days. He's in Jerusalem and serving for three days. I'm also thinking about the Passover lamb that was examined for, for four days before it was crucified, before it was killed. You, know, you think about all these numbers, and when I was talking about earlier when we read the Bible, the more we read our Bible, the more we find out that it is all just one big book linked together. And we were looking at this, and Jesus says, just three days. All you're going to have to do is put up with me in Jerusalem for three days. And, you know, for us as Christians, how long do we have on this world before we get to go to heaven? Maybe if some of us are younger and we've got a lot of time. Some of us are older and we don't. But even at that, we nobody knows how much time we have. But you know the good news is? When we die on this world, we step right into God's presence in heaven. You know, for us as a Christian, the greatest thing that can happen is this body dies. And I get to go to heaven. And no matter how long it might be, from a heavenly perspective, it's a short time. You know, heaven help us if we were to live to be a thousand years old like Methuselah. But even a thousand years is nothing compared to eternity. And, you know, we need to be able to understand that whatever we go through now is going to be meaningless. Paul said, these light afflictions that I'm going through are nothing compared to the glory of the come. In other words, heaven. And we've talked about this many times, Paul's Paul's definition of light afflictions was a lot different than ours, shipwrecked, beat, stoned, chased out of town, uh, you know all the things that uh, we would not consider light afflictions. And Paul goes, these light afflictions are nothing compared to glory. And most of us would be going, God, please don't send those light afflictions my way. But his attitude was he was looking to eternity. He wasn't looking at what was going on in his life. How many times do we get our focus wrong and we start looking at what goes on in this world? rather than what will go on. You know, we will never be successful. We will never be challenged with by God looking at this world. Jesus, it says that he endured the cross for what was going to happen. He did not endure the cross just because, go, oh good, I get to go on the cross and get hung up and get punished and, and hang on that cross and be, be in pain. He was not saying, oh, that's a wonderful thing. He's going after the cross I'm going to be resurrected and I will buy and redeem the lives of the world. That is what he looked at. He was looking at us, his children, and saying, I'm going to endure all of this so that others can go to heaven. Is that our attitude when we go through challenges? Is that our attitude when it's time to surrender our way? Now, it's hard for some of us to allow others to be right, especially if they're wrong, all right, Uh, believe me, I know I've got family members in my family, extended family, they're right no matter what, so I've had to learn very easily to bite my tongue and let them be right, even when I know for a fact that they're wrong, because they're going to argue till they die that they were right, so I'll just say one or two facts and then drop the whole subject because it's not worth it. I've shared with many, of even when it comes to the Bible things, I have very strong beliefs on the Bible and everything else. If you disagree with me, fine. As long as it's not a cardinal doctrine, I'm not overly worried about it. And I only have a couple of cardinal doctrines. The Word of God is absolutely true and the only thing we can base our life on. I'll argue that one. Because if I don't have a strong word of God to base my life on, I've got nothing. If I have to figure out what's right and what's wrong in the Bible, I become God and I don't have anything to put my life on. I will argue that Jesus is the one and only Son of God who died on the cross for our sins. And that he resurrected. Beyond that, there's not a whole lot worth arguing tooth and nail over. Now you all know I have very strong opinions about the Word of God. I like to discuss my opinions about the Word of God. I like to even debate my opinions about the Word of God. But as soon as somebody puts a flag on the top of the hill and says, you must agree with this or else, I go, okay, fine, you have your way. Why? Because my job is not to tear apart the body of Christ. My job is to unify the body of Christ. That's all of our job, to unify. And in the long run, does it really matter whether I'm right or wrong? You know, and I say oftentimes, I'm joking, you know, know, if you don't believe this, that's fine. You'll understand that I was right in heaven, you know, and I know I have the chance to be wrong too, but, you know, I have very strong feelings. I've studied the Bible for 52 years, and I know exactly what I believe, and I know why I believe it. But all I want you to do do I want everybody to believe what I believe? Absolutely not. That would be scary. If everybody in the church agreed with me 100% of the time, we'd probably be a cult, not a not a church. I don't want that. What I do want is for people to know why they believe what they believe. You know, why is it that you believe what you believe? Fine. You know, number one, in most cases, I'll know what you're going to say and I'll know why you're going to say it. Because I know the different sides to most every one of the arguments. I've studied them, looked at them, and decided I don't like some of these arguments and thrown them out. But if you want to believe their arguments, especially in cases where there's lots and lots of people that disagree with me, be my guest. But be good Bereans. Paul praised the Bereans. Why? He says, they searched the scriptures to prove what I say. And that's what I want in this church. I want us to be good Bereans, people who study the word of God and say, this is what we believe, this is why we believe it, or this is what I believe, and this is why. I don't, I've never wanted people to say, well, uh, well the pastor taught, taught it this way, the denomination the, the teaches it this way. I don't want people blindly believing something. I am one that loves questions, and you all know that I love questions. I love to answer questions. I love to show what God says about things. And I've never been one to say, just believe it. I've heard that answer in the past many times because I'm an analytical person. I wanted answers. And, well, you, you just have to believe it. And I've even heard people say, when somebody asks something, well, how do you know there's a God? Well, you can't ask that question in church. Well, where else do you want people to ask, is there a God? If I can't ask it in church, I'm going to get the wrong answer. Because if I ask the the school, is there a God, what's their answer going to be? Absolutely not. If I ask the world, is there a God, the answer is going to be absolutely not. I want people to ask questions in church you know, so that they can be answered in church. Why do we trust the word of God? How do we know that there's God? Why do we know that creation is true rather than evolution? All these questions that are so important to be the foundation of our life need to be able to be asked in the church. And anytime you get somebody that's shocked that you could ask such a question, ask somebody else. Ask somebody else in the church, you know, to get a good answer. Because I think it's very important. We are to study to show ourselves approved, a workman that needs not be ashamed. Do I know what I believe? Do I know why I believe it is very important? Jesus told them, I'm going to be there for three days. And he says, behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And verily I say unto you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you shall say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And this is very interesting. Jesus told them that, okay, once I leave, I am not coming back to Jerusalem until you say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Now in a couple weeks, maybe months, we will be talking about this very event. When Jesus comes into Jerusalem, riding on the donkey, and they say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, called the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. He finally claims, I am Messiah. And he lets the people worship him as Messiah. And what do the scribes and Pharisees say, stop these people from calling out this, these words. And I love Jesus' answer, and I would have loved to have seen that happen. goes, if they are quiet, the rocks will cry out. I think that would have been a great miracle to watch. All the people be quiet and listen to the rocks. (laughs) Praise God. Um, But he's saying, I am going to do this. And he was waiting for this. They were singing, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna means save now. And he was coming into Jerusalem triumphantly. And finally acknowledging, I am Messiah, very clearly. And he's acknowledged it many other places. He has declared that he is God in many places. If you ever meet somebody that ever tells you that Jesus never claimed to be God, they don't know their Bible. He never came directly out and said, I am God. But when he was talking to the scribes and Pharisees, he said, Before Abraham was, I am. All right. Now, the I am was the name of God given to him in, in Exodus. But to say that he was in existence before Abraham, he was claiming that he was God. How do we know that he was claiming to be God? Because what did the scribes and Pharisees do? They picked up stones to stone him for blasphemy. Because he was saying something very harsh to them. And there was many other places where he said the same type of statement. Over and over, Jesus said, I am God and we want to be able to understand that he is God he was born to be God he was born to be the sacrifice of our sins and he was God from before the foundation of the world he did not begin existence in Bethlehem he had an existence forever he just became flesh in Bethlehem and then died on the cross 34 years later and then resurrected and is still God he has never not been God. He was God before the beginning of the world, he's God after the end of the world, and he was God during the the 34 years he lived on this world. And he's been in existence always. And we you know, we want to be able to understand that because Jesus is always who he said he is. God. And there are a lot of people that believe that he started you know, around 3 BC. No. Nope. That was just when he became flesh. We want to keep this in mind. We want to always remember who Jesus is so that we can know what's going on. And as Jesus was always victorious in his life, we want to be challenged are you ready to be victorious? This is an interesting statement. Are you ready to be victorious? First off, to be victorious, remember you've got to go through a challenge in a trial. Are you ready for to be challenged and go through a trial? We need to be asking God for the strength to go through these trials, knowing that we're going to go through a trial whether we want to or not. God is real good about giving pop quizzes in his school, the school of our daily walk. He does not announce our tests. He just sends them our way. Whatever we learn about, whatever we read about, whatever we know that God is challenging in our life, get ready for the test. Because just like any other teacher, they want to make sure that you know what it is that's being taught. And a test is your opportunity to show what you've learned. As they told us in school very frequently in my classes. They, the test is not, is not to punish you. It is an opportunity for sure, to show what you've learned. That's God's attitude. You've been learning how to do fill in the blank, now it's time to give you the test. Do you understand it? Are you ready for it? And God will keep testing you in that area until you pass the test. He doesn't say, well, you flunked the test, let's move on. He says, okay, you flunked this test, let's teach you a little bit again and give you the test over, all over again. Or give you another test on the same topic all other again, all over again. We need to prepare our hearts and minds to be tested by God. Be ready for victory. Because his goal is for us to be victorious. He, From glory to glory, he's changing us, according to Corinthians. You know, does that mean? It means that we're starting in one place, which is glory, which is victory. And he's taking us to another level of glory and victory. He's rewarding us for our obedience and learning by giving us a nicer, harder test. But you know these tests are not that hard when you've studied and you've been teaching, God's teaching you. And, you know, we talked about this many times. Your, your test is going to be at the level that you're at. All right? If you're in kindergarten, you get a nice, easy 1 plus 1 equals 2 test. But that kindergartner doesn't think that's an easy test. That's a tough test if they're not studying. But you give the high school student, here's your test, one plus one equals. (laughs) They're going to look at you like, what is wrong with you? This is not a test. I learned this way back in kindergarten. How many of us want God to give us a kindergarten test even though we're in high school? And God says, no, you wouldn't think that that was a test. He's going to give us a test that equals what level we're at. Be ready for it. The test is always going to challenge what we know. Do you really believe what you believe? And that's what he's going to ask you as he puts you through the test. Are you really believing in grace? Are you really believing that he is the only way to get saved? Are you really believing that we need to love one another? Do you really believe that we're supposed to build up one another? Whatever area God's teaching you, get ready for the test because he's going to put somebody in your life that needs that that activity to be shown to them be ready. Are we ready to be victorious? Are we ready for the test? We need to live lives that are ready for those tests and start living in victory. How do we get that victory? Only by the grace of God. And we need to understand that everything, every test that comes to us is not new. Maybe new to us, but there is nothing new under the sun. There have no temptation overtaken you, but such is his common to man. But God is faithful, who will provide a way of escape. So we need to understand that, you know, everything that comes our way, there is nothing that is, that is brand new. You know, Satan's lie to us is that, you know, nobody has ever gone through what you're going through. And what does he want us to do? Not even Ask. But it's an amazing thing when you start sharing with people and going, oh yeah, I've had that problem too. You go through these biographies and you find out those people all had the same problems you had. Don't be afraid to talk to people. Why do I want testimonies from people? Because I want people to hear victories with God and get encouraged that people are going through the same thing that they're going through. Because we all share the same problems or variations upon those problems. Don't let Satan lie to you. There is not a person alive who has a brand new trial, and almost all of them are. Do you really believe what God says? So when it boiled down to, it's all: Do you really believe God? And that is one of the questions that we have to deal with. So we're going to end here, and just add my challenge for us is: Let's approach God and say, God, help me through the trials. Help me and strengthen me to get through these. And you might even say, God, thank you for the end result of the trials. I'm not gonna tell you to pray and say, thank you for the trial. You know, it's a little crazy probably to be thankful for the pain of the trial, but it is not a bad thing to be thankful for the result that the trial is going to bring. Look at it that way and say, God, I'm looking for the result. Thank you for the result that is coming. Through this trial, what did the apostles say every time that they got beat? Thank God I was found worthy to suffer. Are we ready to say, God, thank you that I am found worthy? I hope so. But our mindset in our heart has to be praying that from the beginning. Lord, we ask you to bless everybody that's listening to your Lord. If there's anybody listening that doesn't know you, we ask that today. They will recognize that they're a sinner in need of you and that they will admit they're a sinner to you and say, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and, say, and ask them to come into his heart and be saved. And then let them communicate that to a, to a Christian. Lord, for the rest of us that are your children, Lord, teach us to be prepared for the trials. Help us to understand that trials are your way to determine where we're at with you to show us that we need to improve, to show us where we're victorious and to prepare us for our next trial. Help us to have the right attitude toward your tests and help us to be victorious so that we can be victorious at the next level. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.